0: Welcome to Gavichap Elizabeth City's Online Sermon Series. Join us this week for Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 19, with Pastor John King. If you're wondering which movie theater, it's uh, Albemarle 8, out by uh, Pastor Three Amigos. So you could go get some Mexican and then go to the movie. Who would ever do something like that? Nobody ever would do something such as that. Well, good morning everybody. You know, it is Palm Sunday, but we're going to continue in Philippians. We're going to have, as as Heidi was saying, we're going to have a Good Friday service and we're going to celebrate Easter. Uh, But this year we're not going to have a special dedicated service for Palm Sunday. But we are going to continue in the book of Philippians. So if you would, please turn. And we're still in chapter 1, verses 12 through 20 today. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Now, Paul has given his introduction, and, and remember, his introduction had, was kind of lengthy. Uh, we've, we've, you know, you'd think you could teach through this particular book, which is only four chapters in a real quick, you know, should be done with it in four weeks if you did a chapter a week. But there's just too much stuff in here. That's just not possible to make happen. Uh, so, you know, it is going to take us a little bit to get through this wonderful book and uh, this wonderful letter. Um, But he, he had given his heartfelt thankfulness, and he was describing how he prays for the church. And that was, you know, the fact that he was praying that their love would abound, and that their sincerity and their wisdom would increase. And now he begins to provide details about his preaching of the gospel in Rome. You know, that's the reason why he's there. That's the reason why he's in chains, is because he stood up for Christ and he preached the gospel. You see, Paul was indeed a pioneer for Christ, A pioneer is somebody who goes into an uncharted land and clears the land, if you will, and makes way for the gospel. And he was a pioneer for the cause of Christ. Now history has proven, and you and I can testify to this, that Paul's ministry in Rome would reach millions of people with the message of salvation. And we see, and we will see today, how important it is for us as we do that, you know, there's obstacles. There's always going to be obstacles. And the enemy is always going to want to try to come against what God intends to do. And we'll learn today how Paul kept things in perspective. And this is something so important for us. You know, whatever situation we're in, we need to learn how to keep things in perspective. Sometimes you say it's the big picture. God allows our life circumstances and our situations, whether they be good or bad, to be used for his purposes. And he will even sometimes arrange circumstances in order that we complete a mission or a task for him. So let's read our passage for today, verse 12. It says, Paul says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for the lesson that you've brought us to here. These words that were written, you know, 2,000 years ago still carry a lot of weight with us, Lord. They carry, uh, as a living word, they bring transformation to our hearts and minds. And so, Lord, would you wash us today in your word? Would you bathe us in your truth, Lord? Would you make a change in our mind and in our heart for the things of you, Lord? Will you turn us in your direction through your word? Go before us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So as I said, Paul is, he, he is, you know, a mature believer. Someone who has, you know, been walking with the Lord. Learns how to keep things in perspective. Keep things in perspective. Earlier in his letter, we talked about Paul. How he had learned to keep himself focused by knowing God's promises and allowing the Holy Spirit to control his mind. And so now we notice how he applies that discipline. Verse 12, he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me. Now first right off the bat, he wants them to understand. Apparently there was great concern in the Philippian church about the fact that Paul was now imprisoned. And in the next chapter, we're going to meet a man named Epaphroditus. He's the one who actually brings the message from Philippi, and he also delivers the message, the letter, back to them. But the messenger from Philippi, who has informed Paul of this church's concern, um, you know, this Paul wants to get it out of the way. He wants to deal with this first before he gets to the main thing, if you will. Now, keep in mind that the church at Philippi had either seen or heard about Paul's miraculous jailbreak in Acts chapter 16, where, you know, the earthquake came and they were singing hymns at midnight and all the chains were released. And, you know, the whole wonderful story about that and how it led to the jailers actually giving his life to Jesus. And so this church may have wondered, well, you know, Paul, why hasn't he escaped from imprisonment yet? And he says here that the things that have happened to me, in other words, the circumstances. You see, it's important also to see that Paul is going to barely mention. You know, he doesn't give them a running commentary like I have about what was happening in Acts chapter 16. They would have known that. So he, doesn't want to, he doesn't want to concentrate on the things that had happened to him. He wants to get to the main concern, and that's the furtherance of the gospel. You know, your inquiring minds want to know and be reminded. So very briefly, what things has happened to Paul? Well, for the past four years, Paul's been in in two different jails, if you will. Two different prisons. He was arrested in Jerusalem for what? Preaching the gospel. And then he was sent to prison up in Caesarea, north of Jerusalem. And for two years, he appealed his case before Rome. But don't forget, he got to speak to the high uh, officials. Uh, You know, he spoke to King Agrippa and they, set, they ship him to Rome. So finally he gets, because he's a Roman citizen, and he claims his citizenship, instead of being executed or, or put to death, uh, he is shipped to Rome. And so along the way, of course, you know the story, the ship uh, runs aground, no problem, you know, those that could swim to shore. Um, and then he gets that night by the fire, he got bit by the poisonous snake, no problem, it didn't affect him. You know, this was Paul the Apostle we're talking about here. And so finally he gets to Rome. And so he's saying, look, the things that have happened to me, and they may have been familiar with this, his four years of being confined in imprisonment, the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He literally is saying, it's all good. (laughs) All the things that have happened to me, it's good. Why? Because the advancement or the furtherance of the gospel the good news. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, the word for furtherance means pioneer advance, which I mentioned earlier. It is a Greek military term referring to the army of engineers who go before the troops to open a way into new territory. Instead of finding himself confined as a prisoner, Paul discovered that his circumstances really opened up for new areas of ministry. You know, as Christians, yeah, we're, it seems like otherwise. It seems that we just sometimes we're just being tossed around by random winds of life and circumstances. One thing after another sometimes happens. You know, sometimes it happens over a certain season in our life where the cat dies and the car breaks and you get a flat on the highway. And, you know, those are minor things. Maybe not the cat dying, but um, and we recently... Never mind. Oh, sorry. Uh, going down a rabbit trail, I don't belong. But so far, so far, Paul's imprisonment has proven to accomplish two main things. If, you're, if you've been following along in this letter, verses 1 through 11, we saw that Paul's imprisonment actually strengthened the gospel. And in the remaining verses here in chapter 1, we see how Paul's circumstance promoted the spread of the gospel. And we will see also how it guards the faith of the gospel. All those things, the circumstances that he's going through, as we unfold, we'll see that. You know, during most of Paul's missionary trips, he was permitted by the Holy Spirit to bring the gospel to major cities. Think about Jerusalem in Palestine or Antioch in Syria or Ephesus in Asia Minor. Or how about Athens in the heart of Greece? All those places you go on those med cruises. Many years earlier, he wrote to the church at Rome. And he expressed a great desire to preach there as well. We see that in Romans 1, 11 through 12. See, the church was already in Rome before he got there. And, you know, that most people believe it was the, those that had visited the Jews from Rome had been there for the day of Pentecost, remember the day of the great day of pentecost where the holy spirit was breathed onto the church and there were you know tongues of fire and it was just an amazing beginning to the church and so they eventually took this gospel and they brought their belief system back to where they lived in, in rome and so paul you know he he told them early on i want to come there i want to preach why because rome was a major city and you know, he may not have expected, he, he, he was used to getting where he wanted to go, literally going where he, he wanted to go despite the, the obstacles, and sometimes the Holy Spirit preventing him from going certain places. But when it came to go into Rome, uh, he probably didn't expect to be doing it as a prisoner. But now God would use the hatred of Paul's enemies to get him to his dis- destination. Think about that. And so Paul in verse 13, you now he, he explained why all this optimism, Paul, and he explains, he says, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. It has become evident to the whole palace guard. In other words, this, the furtherance of the gospel, God's purpose in Rome at that time became evident to everyone that he was around. Now we talk about the palace guard. This is the the camp of the praetorian soldiers. One writer put it this way, the imperial guard, the praetorium, consisted of 9,000 hand-picked soldiers who were honored with double pay, good pensions, and special duties. But among their not so special duties was that of guarding imperial prisoners by an attached chain. If you were ever in the military, you know, you have those honor guards, you have the Marines. They're the best one if you've ever seen their, their, their uh, rifle spinning teams and all the things they do. Um, and, and, you know, they're out there, these honor guards, these color guards for our military. You know, they, they, they man the tomb of the unknown soldier up in D.C. Very, uh, you know, amazing, very impressive military display. But what a lot of people don't realize is that when they're not doing that, they're doing a lot of menial tasks because most of them are very low in rank. And so they may be cleaning toilets and, and you know, taking care of their quarters. And, and so here for these praetorium, they had to, you know, hang with this, uh, you know, unfortunately they had to uh, be chained to this man. But I, that's the guy you want to be chained to, would be Paul the Apostle, let me tell you. My goodness gracious, you're praising God right now for all the time you spent in his proximity if you came to Christ because you're in God's presence right now. Remember, this was 2,000 years ago. He says, it became apparent to all the rest, not only the guard, but to all the rest. Now, all the rest, this could also have been a reference to the palace servants, the government officials, Nero's own family. They witnessed Paul's life in chains, and they were affected by it. They were affected by the gospel that he brought and the witness that he provided. We know this because later here in Philippians 4, verse 22, it says, And all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. So we know. I mean, this this was happening, okay? And he says, they're all the rest. So he names the guards and the people. He says, and explains that my chains are in Christ. I'm not just some prisoner. My chains are in Christ. You see, it's not the least bit wasted what Paul is going through. And the fact that the very same officials who would come in contact with Paul, they're going to have to create government policy. You guys know about government policy, right? They're going to have to create policy to deal with this new church, this crazy explosion of people worshiping Jesus this Jesus revolution that took place at the beginning of the church. And so they're going to be forced to examine the claims. You see, that's the, that's the key, really. When we want to witness to people, you have to pray that the Holy Spirit will open their minds so that they will be forced to examine the claims of our faith. A lot of times it ends up in this spiritual battle and arguing and all these other things. But when you get right down to it, and you have to really examine what Christianity claims, it'll make or break you. You will either decide one way or the other whether you're for Christ or not. And you, you can have an informed decision, I suppose. We still see this today in the lives of men like the author. You guys know him, the former journalist Lee Strobel. In his book, uh, The Case for Christ, he asked, quote, we have to ask, Why is there no other first-century Jew who has millions of followers today? Why isn't there a John the Baptist movement? Why, of all first-century figures, including the Roman emperors, is Jesus still worshipped today, while the others have crumbled into the dust of history? Somebody, you know, somebody's always doing math, right? They're always doing math with, the, with, the, with their understanding of history and, and numbers. And somebody, some have done the math on this remarkable method of evangelism. And if Paul, let's, let's say for instance, here's a, here's a hypothetical situation that's presented. If Paul was chained to a single guard for 24 hours a day, which was the practice and let's say they changed watch every four hours. Now, some would say they change watch every six hours, but if they changed their watch every four hours, that's six separate guards per day on duty. Six times 365 equals 2,190 guards per year. So you would have 2,190 watch standards, and it may have been some of the same, but remember they had nine to 16,000 guards to choose from, And so, for two years, Paul—if you did that math—you would see that there were four thousand three hundred and eighty guards sitting over Paul, being chained to Paul the Apostle. And what an opportunity for him! You can't run away, (laughs) you can't hide. I mean, how else could the gospel be so widespread, even into Nero's household? Now, look, uh, there may be some problems with the calculation. Look, this is just—that's just an illustration. But it was no secret, and Paul claimed it, it was no secret among the palace guards or others who worked in the palace. The gospel was spreading. Now, you can imagine, as I've said, from Paul's perspective, what's it like? What's it like if you had to be chained to somebody 24-7? Let alone the fact that, hey, uh, buddy, I got to use the restroom. Uh, But the fact that he's never alone even though he's under house arrest, you never have any time to yourself. Somebody's always there. He'd always have that soldier sitting a few feet away, wouldn't he? One commentator paints the picture for us, if you will. At times, the hired room would be thronged with people. We know Paul had a lot of visitors come and go to whom the apostle spoke the words of life. And after they withdrew, the sentry would sit there beside him, filled with many questionings as to the meaning of the words which this strange prisoner spoke. At other times, when all had gone, especially at night, when the moonlight shone and the distant slopes of Saract, soldier and apostle would be left to talk. Good thing they didn't have cell phones back then. And in those dark, lonely hours, the apostle would tell soldier after soldier the story of his proud career, his early life. He'd give them their testimony, his testimony of his opposition to Christ and his ultimate conversion. And he would make it clear that he was there as a prisoner, not for any crime but because of whom he raised rebellion, he had raised rebellion or revolt, not because of that either. He hadn't committed a crime. He hadn't raised a rebellion or a revolt, but because he believed that he whom the Roman soldiers themselves had crucified under Pilate was the son of God and the savior of men. And as these tidings spread and the soldiers talked them over with one another, the whole guard would become influenced in sympathy for this meek and gentle apostle who always showed himself so kindly to the men as he shared, however involuntarily, with his imprisonment. See, Paul wasn't some guy, some bad prisoner that you just want to lock in solitary confinement that you, you know, you have to do some crazy restraining thing. No, Paul was going to use his position, his circumstance to affect the entire world, the entire known world. And it started right there. Paul's constant witness for Christ now is a great example for you and I. And you can find it as an application. You know, you may be in a situation, you may be bound up in circumstances right now that you despise. It could be your work environment. It could be your family situation. It could be health concerns and the surrounding culture. We see that and hear that all the time. But despite those obstacles, God is not unaware. We need to remember that. And you're living for Jesus, or the question really is, are you living with Jesus? Are you living like Paul would live? Are you being, you know, Now he wasn't perfect. We know that. Nobody is. But are you, you know, each and every day seeking to be pure in your actions? Are you you seeking to be humble? And you're seeking to do that with consistency, not perfection. So Paul's imprisonment had an effect. Now, not only did it have an effect on the non-believers, you know, his captors and all the, the Roman officials and the guards, but it also had an effect on the church right there at Rome. Not only were the guards and the civil servants and the officials hearing the gospel and experiencing its effect, because the gospel will have its effect. It will have its effect. But the Christians who were already there in Rome before Paul were also having a revival of their faith. Look at verse 14. And he says, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains. You know, Paul, he was... was, He was encouraging them by the fact that he he had joy and he saw in by his chains. And they were persuaded with confidence because Paul was setting an example. You see why it's so important that we join together to do the work of the Lord? Because by example, we can encourage one another. And the result was that they were much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, that's the biggest thing about why Christians don't share their faith. It's because they're afraid. It's spiritual warfare. And they're afraid. You and I are afraid to tell people about Jesus. Maybe it's because you don't want another argument or whatever it is. But there's fear. And so he said they became much more bold because of what they saw. They took on courage by Paul's example. To do what? To speak the word. This is what they're doing. They're bringing the doctrine concerning the attainment through Christ of salvation into the kingdom of God. That's what the good news is. And they did it without fear. And historically, it's a fact that the the church grows under persecution. The church grows from persecution. And we have said this so many times. We've had so many discussions throughout these last Um, you know, as long as we've been alive and lived in this free country that we have and had the freedom that we have, which we're thankful to the Lord for, the freedom to gather like we do, the freedom to stand on the street corner and preach the gospel, the freedom to tell your neighbors, we still, without that persecution, which we don't really want, it tends to make us lukewarm. It tends to make us so, you know, preoccupied for all the things, all the blessings. We, we can't handle, oftentimes, the blessings that God's put upon us because we become so busy, so enamored with the things of this world that we forget. And so we need people like Paul in our lives. We need guys like Franklin Graham coming to our area, okay, to stir us up. One writer put it this way, talking about you and I, our our attitude, our attitude towards our problems will either encourage or discourage other believers. I believe that's true. I believe that is true. Because you know what, we'll either let God or the devil use our problems and it will affect others. It's been said that faith is more caught than taught. Now, I need to say that you can't, doctrine needs to be taught, but faith, living by example, that's something that's inspiring. You, you got to believe that Paul, when he was going through this, he, he would, being a, a Hebrew scholar, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he would have known Genesis 5.20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, Joseph wrote. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive recall earlier, if you will, from our introduction to this epistle of joy, how Paul was consistent in keeping his mind focused, how he wasn't going to allow feelings or circumstances to rob him of his joy and his calling. Now, that doesn't mean our feelings and our circumstances don't affect us, but we cannot allow them to rob us, to take away God's promises we cannot allow that. Uh, you guys, I'm just going to read, you know, he's in prison. We have a modern example of that all the time. You know, we know there's people persecuted, but we support an organization called Serve India Mis- Ministries. That's where, you know, where your tithes and offerings go. We support one of these missionary groups that plants pastors in, in India. And these guys, uh, there's thousands of them being raised up and trained. And they're behind bars, many of them. And we have a few testimonies of pastor, for instance, Vikram. You know, this is one that through your offerings, you're, you're helping to support in an indirect or direct way. He said, while visiting a village for our ministry, my wife and I were attacked. We were surrounded by more than 100 religious fanatics. Those are the religious, the Hindu religious fanatics in India. And we were beaten mercilessly as the other villagers watched, they abducted us, tortured me to within an inch of my life, and they abused my wife. And, you know, we have, there's, there's several here, I won't read them, but the fact of the matter is that, you know, they're there for the gospel's sake, and they're willing to take the message of Jesus Christ to a hostile place. And so their, their, their work goes out, and since, I think it's since uh, probably when this ministry began in the early 2000s, you had uh, in 2006, they had trained 42 uh, national pastors. In 2022, they they trained 3046. And so far they've trained 17,678 national pastors in India, which is going to be pretty soon the most populous nation in the world. It's going to actually overtake China. And uh, there's a reason for that, but I'm not going to go into it today. So you might be going through some adversity in your life. It's quite, quite probable. As we often say, we're either going into a storm, we're in the midst of a storm, or we're coming out of a storm. And it could be a very severe problem that you're going through right now. But you want to keep in mind, please. I would just pray and ask that you would pray that the Lord would help you to keep in mind the powerful witness to the lost, who you, those who are watching you you know, when you claim to be a Christian and then they see the things happen to you that you didn't want, that you maybe didn't deserve, they are going to watch you, those who know that you're a believer and our fellow Christians as well. And so you can either be an encouragement to your brothers and sisters, and I'm not saying that you're not. Please hear me on that. But keep in mind, we need to be encouraging to one another no matter what our circumstances are because we're praying for one another. And we've been promoting Franklin Graham's God Loves You Tour. And really, think of the opportunity that you and I have. Think of a way you know, that you can renew your boldness for the gospel. To be able to speak the word to your unsaved friends and your neighbors next section we see that Paul, now he leaves that, and now he's going to talk about some concerning motives. This is a good one for us. This is a good one for, you know, being in the Bible belt and in the land of countless churches. Concerning motives. Some are good and some are bad, yet the gospel advances. The gospel moves forward. During Paul's imprisonment, most of the Christians in Rome were becoming confident and bold in their faith, as we just said. Yet some of them had ill motives. Some of them had ill motives. And so he says in verse 15, some indeed will preach Christ even from envy and strife. You see, we're talking about the ugly side of the ministry. If you've been walking with the Lord any time, and you've been involved in church through your life, you've all, we've all seen the ugly side of the ministry. And so we're being reminded that not all motives are pure, even within the church. Now, in case Paul, or you and I for that matter, in case we didn't have enough stress in our lives. Now he has to make mention of those who are criticizing his stand for Christ. The sad part is that these attacks are coming from other preachers. They're actual Christians saying these things. Some of them are simply envious of the apparent success he's having in reaching those holding him in chains. Others are against him because of their own fears that Paul is bringing down the heat, the unwanted attention to the church. Are you really, Pastor John, going to have us go stand outside of an abortion clinic? Don't you realize people are taking pictures? Don't you realize somebody could put that on social media and destroy our lives? How about the local potato festival? We know how that went down. Some of you know what I'm talking about. thinking that if Paul hadn't been so adamant, you know, if he hadn't been such a loudmouth, if he hadn't been one to stand up for his rights before Caesar, none of this commotion would have ever happened. Have you ever heard that things like that? You're making a stir. Now I'm not talking about being obnoxious and rude and unkind to people. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having a bold stand for faith in Christ. But they had envy. It's the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. And they had strife, which means contention or rivalry. Tommy Heigel wrote this. He said, envy is followed by strife. Envy is the emotion and strife is what the envious people try to stir up. Envious people are mean. They don't care if they cause strife and they don't care who gets hurt or what damage is done. They only care about their own agendas and getting their own way. So he, he mentions that, but then he also at the same, in the same sentence, he says, and some also from goodwill. In other words, remember, his main focus is the furtherance of the gospel. Goodwill or kindly intent. You know, they're, they're doing by, by good pleasure. Their motives are pure. And then he explains a little further in verse 16. He says, the former preach Christ from selfish ambition or partisanship. You know, it's us versus them. It's rivalry. Or not sincerely. They don't have pure motives. And one of the reasons he throws on, you know, the icing on the cake is he says, they're doing this to make my, my life more miserable in jail. You're, they're trying to add affliction to his chains by how they're coming against Paul and how they're preaching the gospel. You see, Paul had enemies within the church. Warren Wiersbe says, Paul, Paul's aim was to glorify Christ and get people to follow him, Jesus. His critics' aim was to promote themselves and to win a following of their own. They wanted to grow their own ministry. They wanted to bring glory to themselves. Instead of asking, have you trusted Christ? They ask, well, whose side are you on? Are you on Paul's side or are you on our side? I mean, we've, I've had those conversations. Are you CCA or CGN? Though some of you know what I'm talking about. Whose side are you on? Verse 17, but the latter out of love. Again, He keeps the positive, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The latter out of love. That's agape love. That's love sourced in God himself. Agape love. And notice, it's so important. Not only do they agree with Paul, he knows that he's called. He knows that he's called to do the things he's doing. And they agreed with him. They said, they know that I'm appointed or set for God's, God's intent. And what's he set for? The defense or the apologia, the defense of the gospel. Paul knew his calling. In Acts 9.15, we have a record of the Lord's words to the man named Ananias. You remember that. Right after Paul's miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus. And in a vision, the Lord instructed Ananias to go to the house of a man named Judas, where Paul, or Saul at that time, who had been blinded by the light of Christ. His eyes, he couldn't see for three days. And so this vision that Paul had, he had a vision of a man who was praying and actually seeing, Paul was seeing in his mind's eye, a person named Ananias, laying hands on him to restore his sight. And this man, Ananias, he was fearful of Saul of Tarsus because of his, his reputation. So he was hesitant. And so he said to the Lord in Acts nine verses 15 and 16, uh, he had already told the Lord he didn't you know, essentially didn't want to go near Paul. But the Lord said to him, "Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to, what to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel." And what's Paul doing right now? He's in the prison all those years later. And he's going to be, his case will be heard before Caesar Nero. So Paul knew this, and he knew this as he lived out his calling. In verse 18, so then Paul, he, he presents the situation, you know, the ugly side of ministry, those who are purely motive, those who have ill will. And then he asks the question, what then? What then? Uh, do I, when I get out of prison, do I hunt them down? Do I punch him out? Do I let him know what's going on? Do I write a letter saying, don't be with his people or stay away from them? No. He says, what then? In other words, under these circumstances, what, what is the conclusion, Paul? And he says, notice what he says, only, only that in every way, whether in pretense, ill will, or in truth, Christ is preached. Christ is preached. And in this I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. See, Paul takes the high road. And that's often what we're called to do, is we're called to take the high road in ugly situations when people with ill will and ill motives try to abuse us and run us down. Paul is our example. You see, Paul refuses to allow the enemy to win, He knows how powerful the gospel is despite the wrong motives. And he can find joy in knowing that people are still getting saved. Even though Christianity seems to be on a decline in our nation and Western civilization in general, every year the numbers who attend church goes down and down and down. Now look, I'm not so sure that it's all that true in many cases. But overall, it's not a a very... uh, optimistic picture of the growth of the church in our society. But we're not to lose hope. The Bible teaches us through the words of Jesus in John 12, 24. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much much grain. From our Lord's death on the cross... Right up to the present day, the gospel is being spread until the great harvest of the Lord's return. And around the world, Christianity is the number one religion. You know, the experts tell us around the globe, Christianity is growing faster than any other religion in the world. It's just that we live in our society. We're, you know, we're in this this place, which I'm thankful for it but we, when we see a Jesus Revolution movie and we see a crusade coming through and the things that are happening and you feel and you hear about the groundswell that's taking place, as we continue to pray for our prodigals and we continue to cry out to God, He's going to answer us. But we see, it requires us that wheat of grain to fall to the ground to die. It's not about us. And so we need to be clear as well. Um, Also, let, let me just say this, because you're probably wondering, knowing Paul's writings, and many of you know your Bibles, Paul was not going along with a false gospel message. You see, there's a difference between bringing the gospel with ill motives, but bringing the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether you like that denominations method or you don't. There's a difference between that, and they're bringing the gospel, than false teaching. And Paul does not put up with that, a false message. And he would not, you know, knowing Paul, he would not have shrunk away from that issue if they were preaching a different gospel there in Rome. Remember from Galatians 1, through 6-8, he says to the Galatians, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another But if there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So he's talking about the meth. He's not talking about the fact that you're going to have false teachers. He's talking about the ill will, the the those who preach from you know they just want to build their ministry. They've come to town and they've got a new church that they want to stand up right. They're advertising, hey, worship leaders, you know, from wherever you are, leave your church and come to ours. You know, that's, you see this is happening right here in this town. It's kind of funny. It's a business. But I would say, as long as they're preaching the gospel, who am I to worry about it? I should be like Paul and rejoice. Amen. Chuck Swindoll said this, and we're about ready to wrap it up. A heretic with sincere motives is still preaching a gospel that has no power to save anyone but a presentation of the truth, even by those who aren't living in accordance with it, still has the power to bring a person to faith. Never forget it's the work of the Holy Spirit, not His empowered preachers that saves people. Amen. Amen. Finally, uh, um, we're just going to finish in verse 19 as we close. But. Um, I will say that uh, envy and jealousy, if you allow it to grow, it can become a real monster. It can become a real problem. In fact, envy and jealousy is actually more um, dangerous than anger. Proverbs 27.4 says, wrath is cruel and anger a torrent. But who is able to stand before jealousy? The Lord's not requiring, from you, know, from you and I, and from all of us, the Lord is not requiring big ministries and big names and big followers from everyone. He, he does do that with some people. What He requires from us is faithfulness. Because only faithfulness in the ministry is what will see us through. And that's what He calls us for. So let's be faithful. We'll pick up next time after Sunday, we'll pick up verse 19 then. But I would like to just close with these thoughts. Remember to regard your life circumstances with a biblical perspective. Let your attitude be shaped by what? The joy of salvation and the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot get enough. We will always have to return to the basic truth that you are loved and not alone in Christ. And He has given you a helper, the Holy Spirit to guide you. Also, understand your calling, knowing like Paul that you are appointed by God to defend and spread the gospel, whatever way He chooses to use you to do that. But Jesus needs to be at the center of my life, at the center of your life for that to happen. It's not what others think of you. And then finally, as we're going to see next week, we need to maintain our prayer and use the spiritual provisions that God has given us. Let's be willing to ask one another for prayer. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And let's stay connected to the Comforter John 14, 15 through 17. He says, if you love me to his disciples, he says, then keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide in you forever. The spirit of truth with whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be with you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time today. We thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord God, that as we begin now to close our service today and and enjoy the the lingering times of fellowship and conversation that we always have together, for those who have to head out sooner and get about their day and the things that they have planned with their families and their friends, I just pray, Lord God, you will bless them, that you will bless each and every family that's represented here and even those who could not be here today. We love your kindness, Lord. We love your provision. We love your strength. We love the help and the hope that we get from you and can only find in you. Help us, Lord, to keep you at the center of our lives as we walk out these doors today. And Lord, give us the boldness and the strength to tell someone else about the love of Jesus, the things that we talk about, the things that are so dear to us. Equip us, Lord, strengthen us and guide us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.